0: As our ushers come forward, I want to introduce you to what we believe as a church. So there's three things um, that we believe that Paul mentioned. Number one, there's hope beyond our brokenness. So right now, right where you are, you are welcome here. You are loved. This is home for you. And this church isn't a perfect place. We all messed that up when we walked in the door. Amen? And the beauty of, of, of church is that we're not left that way. That when Jesus meets us, he embraces us just as we are. And then he also says, I have restoration and healing and life for you. So the second thing we believe is that we believe to, to trust our risen Savior and that word faith or believe can also be translated as trust. That's a relationship word. That what God is after is not your performance. God is not after you making sure that everybody thinks that your reputation is stellar. God does not need you to manage your online profile. God, need, God wants you to understand that your connection, your relationship with Him is saying, God, you have done everything for me, and therefore I trust that you know what you're talking about. that the things that you're telling me, that the places that you're leading me I can actually follow, that I can lay down my self- salvation projects and I can actually actually trust you and rest. That I, I, I can see that the issues that I'm dealing with right now, it'll actually get better when I ask forgiveness, when I repent. When I followed your directions. And so life happens when we trust Jesus. And he's alive right here, right now. The third thing we believe is that we're called to bring restoration to our community. So uh, next couple of weeks you're going to hear about the change for a dollar story that John Holquin took a couple of weeks ago. We've been having some scheduling stuff. And so that, that his story is going to come and it's awesome. It's amazing. And then next week, next week we're gonna take the change for a dollar offering. And Noreen and parents have prepped their kids. And our children on Easter Sunday are gonna take the change for a dollar offering, and they're gonna come back two weeks from now and talk about the difference that they've made. See, right now you have the ability to see the hurt and the sorrow. And the loss, and the weariness, in your family, in your friends, in your neighbors. And you have something to give. And it's, it's more than a bucket of change. It's Jesus himself. Amen? So that's what we believe. Each one of those beliefs have, beliefs have choices. So we read this every week, and, and let's read it again this week. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God. Choosing to be changed by Jesus. Choosing to seek Jesus first. And choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we choose today to say yes to you. Right now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us in power. We choose to have this time be your time, God. We give you permission to deliver us and free us from lies from um, our weariness, from all of our efforts, God, we lay it down at your feet. Father, protect us. Heavenly Father, protect us. We bind up everything opposed to Christ that would be seeking to distract us during this time. Now in Jesus' name, and we pray your protection upon this space and this time. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I won't step there. Every time I step there, it goes pop. and I'm not going to knock over my water there was seven or eight of you that were looking precariously at my water going <laughs> he's going to knock it over <laughs> so last week we started uh, the book of John and I'm so excited John is like oh my gosh John is awesome and so last week we started the book of John and we read the first 12 verses together And I want us to read the first five again because the the heart of our sermon was in those first five verses. So let's read this together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. So remember that word, uh, the Greek word for word is logos, and that's where we get the word logistics, logistics, right? Where Logistics is the idea that I'm gonna use my intelligence and my spoken word to bring chaos back into order. That's what logistics is. And that's what Jesus, the Logos, the word has done in all of creation and in your life. Let's keep on reading. Through him, all things were made, without him, Nothing was made that has been made. You are God's creation. He's made you. And Jesus, well, John, the, John, who wrote this, had this name that he would refer to himself to help you understand that name. And that name is this Greek word, agape, and it means this, beloved. You are God's beloved child. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is light and life, and he has, he's not looked at your darkness and said, well, that's too much for me. Forget it. He's not looked at your darkness and said, would you please get it all together He's looked at your darkness, and he's entered into it. He's seen the hell that you're living in, that you've lived in, and he said, that doesn't scare me. I'm willing to enter into that dark place and banish the darkness as I shine my light in and give you life. And even when that's overwhelming, even when you say, God, turn off the light. Stop it. Don't shine in that wounded, broken place. He'll send a friend like John the Baptist. He'll send a witness, someone who's been delivered from their own hell. And that friend will come to you and say, Listen, sweetheart, life can only be found in one place. Can I introduce you to him? That was last week. So today, one week before Easter, we remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross to make us beloved daughters and worthy sons. And so to experience the joy of Easter, we first pass through the cross. And to fully understand what Jesus has done for you, John wants you to fully understand who Jesus is. So we're going to pick up right where we left off last week, starting in verse fourteen. Would you would you read with me? The Word became flesh, and is dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word became flesh. That's called the incarnation right? We're incarnate, like carne asada, right? Carne means meat or flesh, okay? So incarne, incarne asada, right? Where Jesus came from heaven and he enfleshed himself. He was incarnated. The word became flesh and literally um, it made his dwelling among us. It, that, that's the word tabernacle or, or tent. So Jesus Moved into our neighborhood. He set up his campsite where you live. He's here. Dale Bruner writes in his majestic commentary on the book of John. He writes this. Dale's a professor and an author. He says this. In God's incarnation, in the human Jesus, the Almighty became a baby. The Ancient of Days became part of this day. The divine, human, the eternal, temporal, the immortal, mortal, the infinite, finite. See, it's not just that a good man died for you in a heroic and noble act. We celebrate those people every year on Memorial Day. Jesus is more than just a good man. He's the almighty God, the Everlasting creator of all things and you. And therefore, when Jesus, who's fully man and fully God, dies on the cross, he can, by his very nature, accomplish more than we could ever. So what has what, what Jesus accomplished? Well, there's two things that have happened on the cross. There's two exchanges or substitutions that have happened. First, Jesus takes what we deserve, so all of our sin is placed on his shoulders. That's the first substitution. The second is that everything that Jesus deserves, all the merit badges he's earned, takes 21 to be a Boy Scout, an Eagle Scout. I know. All those merit badges, all those good deeds, all those perfect report cards, he then gives it to us. So there's two exchanges. All my stuff goes on Jesus, and all of Jesus' good stuff comes on me. So let's, un- let's unpack that a little bit, because what, what that is, is, is that, that's the heart of the cross. But first I want to talk with the fact about that all of Jesus' perfection, or what the Bible calls righteousness, is then given to me. So, let's talk about that one first. There's a legendary football coach. His name is Urban Meyer. Here he is. I think that's after he lost a game. Um, And Urban Meyer, in an amazing article in 2011, talked about his father. And during his senior year of high school, Urban Meyer was drafted by the Atlanta Braves to play baseball. And... He arrived in the minor leagues, but soon after he arrived in the minor leagues, he realized, I don't, I, I don't have what it takes. I, I'm not going to make the team at all. I'm going to be stuck in the purgatory called the minor leagues forever. And so he called up his dad and said, Dad, I'm not going to make it. I, I, I really just want to quit and come home and go to college and move on and do something else. And his di- father informed him. He said, son, if you quit, you're no longer welcome at our home. He says, Urban, if you quit, don't come home. But I do want you to call your mother, at least on Christmas. So, needless to say, Urban Meyer finished out that horrific season in the minor leagues. And what he did is that he ended up embracing this conditional love from his dad. And this conditional love went like this. Tell me if this might sound familiar. I've got to be perfect or else. So Urban Meyer later went on to become a football coach and then he became the head coach of um, the Florida Gators and when he was the head coach of the Florida Gators, he won back-to-back national championships and some would chalk up his success to his uncompromising attitude and amazing work ethic. But it turns out that these national championships were short-lived, at least as far as Urban was concerned because once he had won those titles anything less than perfection would be viewed as failure. And after the 2007 season, Urban confessed to a friend that anxiety was taking over his life and he just wanted to walk away. He said this, he said, building takes passion and energy, maintenance is awful. It's nothing but fatigue. Once you reach the top, maintaining that beast is awful. And so in 2009, a few hours after the Gators won the national championship with Urban Meyer at the end, he collapsed on his living room floor and he could not get up again because he was having a heart attack. He would retire, go back to work, retire again, go back to work, take two years off, then be hired by the Ohio State Buckeyes where he would again win a national championship. And again, he had to retire And this time his doctor said, Urban, if you work another season at 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 maintaining this awful beast, you will die. And so finally Urban Meyer has called it good. Now, he might be an extreme example of someone striving for perfection, but I think you and I can relate with his experience. I can especially relate with his experience growing up in the church. See, I'd heard so many times what Jesus has done for me, and yet there was this little lie that I, has, that I was carrying around that I was believing deep in my heart, and it went like this. Yes, Jesus saved me by dying on the cross for my sins. Yes, Jesus has made me perfect. And so here I was, like $5 billion in debt, never going to be able to pay it off. And what Jesus did is he forgave all my debt, and then so, so now I'm not in debt. But you know what that means? What happens when you you, you no longer owe $5 billion? How much money do you have? Zero. Exactly, you're flat broke. (laughs) So I thought that it was up to me to maintain that perfection. That I couldn't dip into the negative that I keep on heading to be perfect to add good things to my account. that That was my job. And so to maintain that beast of perfection, it was absolutely awful. Can you relate with me? I remember younger, I was reading, I was in high school and I was reading the book of Romans and I I came across this verse, Romans 5, 8, and I just absolutely detested this verse. It goes like this. Read this with me. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. What? What? That is the worst news possible. I want to be of use. I'm a good boy. (laughs) I want to have something to offer in my life. I want to be productive. And so, Luther, when he translated, Martin Luther in the 1500s, when he translated the the Bible from Latin into his common tongue, German, he defined sin as this, as navel-gazing. And that's what I was doing, right? Am I okay? Am I enough? Have I done enough? Uh, author Tolian Chovicin writes this. He says, When we spend more time thinking about ourselves and how we're doing than we do about Jesus and what he's done, we shrink ourselves. Any gardener would tell you, no seed can grow if it's constantly being dug up to check on its progress. <laughs> how am I doing? No, it only grew, right? (laughs) Look, on the cross, it is finished. Jesus grants to you his perfection. That is a gift that you receive when you say yes to and trust Jesus. All your work to make it happen, It's already accomplished. All your work to be enough, Jesus is enough for you. Jesus extinguishes the burden for you to have to maintain that awful beast called perfection so that you can finally rest. And then, so when you do great things, or when you are productive, or when you are obedient, You know what that is? It's like icing on the cake. Like the trophy's already won, so now you just get to enjoy the game. It's, what's the analogy? It's, It's that you're fully and completely at rest and therefore everything that I do is now from a place of joy rather than a place of striving. Does that make sense? The gospel is not opposed to your effort It's opposed to your earning because Jesus has earned it all. So that's why John, when he writes this, Jesus coming into the flesh, that he is the glory of God, that he's full of grace and truth. The very next verse John tells us about the biggest celebrity during Jesus' time. The guy that everyone thought was the best and most successful pastor and preacher of the day. Do you remember what his name was? Right? Big bad John the Baptist. He had his tour bus pulled by 24 donkeys. Right? Remember this? John, he, had like, uh, he was the most successful pastor and preacher of his day. And what does John the Baptist say? He says, look at all my baptisms. Look at all the lives I've changed. Look at how obedient I am. I'm a vegan. I only eat locusts and honey. I only wear camel hair clothes. Look at how devoted I am. Look at the difference that I've made. I'm changing the world. That's what, that was his message, wasn't it? No, no. What was his message? John the Baptist looks at Jesus and John goes like this. Oh my gosh. I'm technically older than Jesus. I've baptized more people than Jesus. I started this ministry that Jesus will inherit. I should get all of the glory. I'm his elder. I've come before him. But Jesus, he's surpassed me. He's greater than me. Why? Because he's not just a man. He's God. He's come way, way, way before me. So John writes this. He said John, John the Baptist testified concerning him. He says Jesus is the one I spoke about when I said he who comes after me. So chronologically has surpassed me. He's greater than me because he was before me. And what John the Baptist is saying is this. Look now that I see who Jesus is. Now that I see what he's done for me. I don't point to myself anymore. I point to him. I was talking with a friend this week and he was describing his career in sales during a time when he was completely ignoring Jesus. And my friend was on fire, like making like way more than six figures, like he was just absolutely doing incredible private jets, big celebrities, multi-million dollar deals all the time. This is when he's 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, you give a 19 year old that much money and like it's just disaster waiting to happen, right? But he was actually great with it. He did. I mean, he was just wildly successful in all of these different arenas. But at the exact same time, he knew, you know what? I'm ignoring God. And he, he knew what he was doing. And so this ache started to form within him. This pain started to form within him. And my friend described it like this. In a moment of pain and helplessness and desperation, he finally started talking to Jesus again. And in that one moment of prayer, he experienced more peace than all of the peace that lots of stuff provides. And in that moment of prayer, he experienced more comfort and more life than all of his comforts and trinkets could buy. So my friend kept on praying, and it changed his life forever. So I got to pray with him this week. I got to talk with him this week. And... It was so incredible to hear his story. And he says, he told me this. He says, you know what, Andy? I have more money than Jesus. It's true. You, you have more money than Jesus. Right? You have more clothes than Jesus. He, he, he says, I've owned more businesses than Jesus. I've flown on more jets than Jesus. But nothing compares to Jesus. He's so much greater than anything I've become or obtained. And I finally get it now. And the life that Jesus offers me means that I'll give anything up to have him in my life. Jesus is my life. I can't go back to a different way of living. My friend, that's, he's like John the Baptist where he points to Jesus and he says, this is my life, Jesus is my life. See on the cross what we realize is that all of my energy to try and be perfect like Urban Meyer, all of the, tri- the great things that I wanna achieve in my life like my friend, that, that those will become empty and hollow. But on the cross, Jesus has given us his perfection and his success so that our hearts might be fulfilled. So let's keep on reading. Now John is going to point to that second exchange where all of my sin goes on Jesus' shoulders. Let's read together. Out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. In the Greek, that's literally grace and grace and more grace and grace it's like, you know you know when you go to the deli and you say, can I just have a little bit more meat, please? You ever done that to the deli guy? You've not done that to the deli guy? That's my favorite thing to do to the deli guy. You say, can I have just a little bit more meat? This is sign language. This is baby sign language for more. Can I have some more? Can I have some more? More, please? And they just keep on shaving the meat right that paper thin capicola or sopressata or gabagool or whatever that is it just just keeps on piling higher and higher grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace verse 17 for the law was given to moses grace and truth came through jesus and that right there is the heart of what happens on the cross in that second exchange Look, you and I have been given grace upon grace upon grace by Jesus, but what we have to understand is that like, we haven't earned that. You can't point to your track record and say, yep, I've earned it. Actually, what we've earned is, is not grace. The law is an amazing tool. Moses gives us the law. And the law is a tool that says this, here's where life is and here's where death is now pursue life that's the law it's the operations manual of life it's our instructions it's fantastic right and god gives the law he says look i'm your god so it's not conditional it's not like we obey and then god loves us no no no. god loves us and then here's the law right avoid death and and pursue life don't eat rotten food, eat, amen? amen? We teach our kids this all the time, right? Don't play in the street, Johnny, play at home. Yes? Yeah. You picking up what I'm putting down? Yeah. And what do we do? No, we, we don't obey at all. We just immediately dive headlong into death, Right? We're like, okay, I got it, I got it. It's like when we're driving the car for the first time, my dad taught me how to drive when I was five years old. <laughs> Not a good idea. This is a 1974 station wagon. You know, the ones that were like 36 feet long and they had the wood paneling on the side and the roof rack and no seat belts, right? This massive V8 engine and so I'm on his lap and he's in the steering wheels like this big, right? And it's made out of wood with all the little, you know, the little molded handhelds and it's like this thin, the steering wheel. And so I'm driving this car with no, with, and he's like, okay, go ahead, honey. And, and I immediately start steering the car towards the house. And he's like, let's just steer it back over and I'm like, nope, I'm, we're gonna go home. And, and so, I mean, he slams on the brakes and I, I'm like within a foot of plowing the 1974 station wagon through the living room. Um, and that's exactly what I do with my life I say God I got it from here yep I know what the instructions are I got it and so then I little pilot my little ship right onto the shore (laughs) and I crash it onto the rocks and I pursue just like you my fear and my vanity and my futility and my pride and my shame I, I use all of these tools I know they lead to death but that's what I do Unlike Barney Fife, there's a compulsion within me to do that. If you understand that reference, you're, you're no longer young. <laughs> so, this, this law has this amazing diagnosis, and the diagnosis is this I can't save myself by myself. Say that with me, I can't save myself by myself. So I used to beat myself up for not being perfect. I would start prayers like this, God I'm sorry, but I don't have to do that anymore. I used to try desperately to give the impression that I had it all together, that I didn't need help. Ask April how obnoxious that was to live with, but I don't have to do that anymore. I, I once used guilt and shame to motivate me to, to the fuel, right? Like, you're like, you can't mess up. You've got to be perfect. You've got to keep it together. I used to try and use those as fuel to, to propel me forward. And I don't have to do that anymore. Because the cross of Christ says this. I'm absolutely lost apart from God. And I'm far more broken than I want to admit. The cross of Christ is the public declaration that Andy Rock a pastor and a child of God is far more broken than he ever wants to admit and at the exact same time the cross of Christ is the unbelievable outpouring of grace which screams this that Andy Rock is far more loved than he could ever dare to hope and that is what you are right now. That God loves you and He's poured out grace upon grace upon grace to you. And yes, apart from God, on your own, you have brokenness. And with God and His abundant grace, you have healing. See, here's what I'm learning about the cross. It's, it's one-way love. Grace is not the demand for my perfection. Grace is the gift of Jesus' perfection for me. Jesus says this, before you woke up this morning, I've already done everything required for your acceptance and worthiness. You don't need to earn anything. I've earned it all for you. The law exposes the plain truth that I and you desperately need God to save us. And then grace delivers us. The law accuses. Grace acquits. The law condemns the best of us. Grace saves the worst of us. The law says that we're cursed. Grace says we are blessed. The law diagnoses me as a slave to sin. Grace transforms me into a worthy son. Transforms you into a beloved daughter. The law can break my hard heart. But only grace can heal my hard heart. And so here at the cross, we see the undeniable grace of God. Here at the cross, we see that love has a name and his name is Jesus. So John ends this amazing section with this verse. Verse 18. God? No one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So this week, as we prepare our hearts for Easter, I have a dangerous prayer for us to pray today. I want to read it to you first and then I invite us to pray it. You've probably prayed this before. Maybe some of you, have, this will be the first time that you ever pray this prayer. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. On my own, I am completely broken and unable to save myself. Under your perfect law, I deserve death. Yet, out of love for me, you gave your life for me. You have forgiven me. And I receive all that you have done on the cross for me. So I trust you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. You gave all of yourself for me, so now I give all of myself to you. Jesus, I'm yours. So would you be willing to pray that prayer with me today? Yes. Yes. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me as sinner. On my own, I am completely broken and unable to save myself. Under your perfect law, I deserve death. Yet out of love for me, you gave your life for me. You have forgiven me. I receive all that you have done on the cross for me. So I trust you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. You gave all of yourself for me. So now I give all of myself from you. Jesus, I'm yours. Heavenly Father, bless and seal that good work in our hearts today. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to suffer so that we might have life. And God, I pray for each person's heart here this week. That this holy week would be saturated by moments where they would catch a glimpse of you. They would see your affection and love. They would feel your presence and your nearness. I pray against all the enemy's plans to steal and rob the good words. The amazing experience that they've had this morning. I bless and seal everything that you've given them Holy Spirit. In their hearts today. Jesus we love you. Thank you for the cross. And all God's people said. Would you stand for the benediction? If you've prayed that prayer for the first time today. I would love to be able to connect with you up front. I got resources to give you. I got gifts to give you. I got trusted people. To connect with you. So please I'd love to be able to talk with you. And I so look forward to celebrating Easter with you next weekend. At either. Nine or 11. Now receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, that's his delight in you, and give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.